morning, everybody. It's good to, to see everyone here today. Just in terms of life groups, um, we met together with the life group leaders yesterday for the first time since February last year. So things are moving again. We're, we're praising God for that. Uh, but I just want to take this opportunity very quickly just to say a huge thanks to all our life group leaders for the tremendous work they've done uh, with us and for us over the past 18 months or so um, in in comforting and sharing, praying, and doing all the stuff that they do. So I'd like us to give them uh, a round of applause just now for watching online. Let's have some clapping emojis for the great work that they have done and will be continuing to do. Okay, so we're enjoying a a great series of mini-talks on game changers. And my game changer is Joseph, the son of Jacob, whom we read about at the end of, of, of Genesis from 37 to chapter 50. Now, it would take a Netflix miniseries, I think, to do uh, Joseph any justice, but I've only got 15 minutes. Uh, so here goes. Let's give it a go. Um, fasten your seatbelts, and uh, we'll go for a, a crazy ride. Um, let's just remind ourselves what we mean by game changer. Um, we, we sometimes hear it in connection with sport. The, the, the player came on and changed the match, turned it around. Uh, in business, uh, the new chief executive officer came in and turned a loss-making organization to a profit-making one. Maybe in education, um, a new head teacher comes along to a failing school and turns it right round, and it becomes the most popular one in the neighborhood. In these days, though, I believe, as in biblical times, we need game-changers who are operating under the guidance of our Heavenly Father and also in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in their own strength, because we've seen that it can go pear-shaped uh, after, after a while. And what's the world like? Well, about 15 years ago, I was chair of a local children's uh, charity in Scotland, which was established by our friends in the, the local Baptist church under the guidance of a, a, a Spurgeon's childcare. We were able to set up breakfast clubs, after-school clubs, and set up a befriending service, all in consultation with the local social services. On one occasion, uh, we were invited along, um, myself and our operations manager, to uh, a roadshow in St Andrew's Town Hall, which was put on by the Scottish Parliament. They were still in their infancy in those days. It was still a fairly new thing. And it was attended, this meeting was attended by representatives of local charities. And the meeting was chaired by a civil servant from Edinburgh uh, uh, who, who introduced all the, all, all the politicians and they discussed all the, the bits and pieces. The event was meant to explain how the new parliament worked and how they hoped to be able to help local communities. At the same time, in the main hall uh, upstairs in the town hall, the St Andrews University Christian Union were meeting They had been thrown out of the Students' Union, ironically, because their statement of faith wasn't considered diverse enough for the Students' Association. And so they had their regular meeting uh, in the town hall upper room. So while we were downstairs in this meeting, the sound of worship was wafting down the the stairs from uh, above. And uh, I was quite enjoying it because the meeting was a bit dry and boring, to be honest. But... uh, Towards after a while, the, the, the um, chair of the meeting decided to intervene, and he stood up and apologized for the noise that was coming from upstairs. I'll never forget the words he used. He said this, and this just shows what sort of uh, mind state is going on in, in, in our society. He said, it's the power of God versus the power of the Scottish Parliament. 
remarkable. Now, regrettably, I didn't uh, take him up on that or, or, or uh, at the end of the meeting or say any, make any comment. But I think if you examine that comment, it's really quite a one-sided contest, is it not? <laughs> who, is in, who is in control? Who has all the power? It's God. As Pastor Billy mentioned, uh, just in summing things up last week, we need more spirit-filled men and women of God, game changers in all areas, politics, business, education, science, the media, and in family life. Areas which have been hijacked by people who, are, who think they're modern but are, are, are causing nothing but chaos. And that's, I think, where the story of Joseph can help us. Who is Joseph? Well, he's this young dreamer, isn't he? Born into a dysfunctional family, which is full of deceit and hatred and jealousy and revenge and murder. Uh, if you remember Joseph's the father, Jacob, that, his name actually means supplanter or usurper. And uh, you'll remember that occasion where he, 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 he deceived Esau and stole his birthright. Joseph's family background was far from perfect. But as we learned from Rahab, uh, your past doesn't define who you are. And Joseph becomes his father's favorite. And after rashly telling his brothers of the two dreams that he had, he's then gifted the famous elaborate coat, uh, which later ends up covered in goat's blood as his jealous brothers strip him of it and sell him to a band of Ishmaelite slave traders bound for Egypt. The coat's taken back to Jacob with the story that Joseph's been killed by a wild animal. But of course, for Joseph, that's where his story really begins. So this morning, let's look at four things about Joseph and how he became a game changer. Number one, he was a man of integrity. What do we mean by integrity? Well, it's that practice of being honest, showing consistent uncompromising adherence to something, a, a strong moral and ethical principles and values. And for ourselves, that's biblical. That's, that's the Bible. So Joseph is sold to Potiphar. He works honestly and diligently, and he's blessed by God in Potiphar's household. He takes his beliefs, he takes his God into a household of Pharaoh's Egypt, where they worshipped all kinds of other gods. And so we read in Genesis 39, 5 to 6, from the time Potiphar put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Incredible that he was so unconcerned that he, all, 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 all Potiphar was happy with doing was feasting. Then later in chapter 39, we read how Joseph, in a supreme example of integrity and self-control, resists the advances of Potiphar's wife. So even though he did the right thing, he was thrown into jail after that on a false accusation. But then even in prison, his integrity shone through. So much so that the prison warden put him in charge of all those held in prison. Think about it, a prisoner in charge of all the prisoners. And it's while, we, while in prison that we see another thing about Joseph. Secondly, he was a man of wisdom. As well as having dreams, God enables him to become a dream interpreter, interpreting the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. And in Genesis 40, verse 8, we read, 
We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So Joseph's wisdom comes because he's close to God. His experiences have taught him to trust in God. And he acknowledges that wisdom comes from God. That he's merely the instrument. And God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams. But again, it doesn't work out quite as he had hoped. The cupbearer is restored by Pharaoh, but he forgets to mention Joseph to to, to Pharaoh. And it's not for another two years uh, that Pharaoh himself has a dream, uh, has a series of troubling dreams that the cupbearer remembers the dream interpreter. And we read about Pharaoh's dreams in Genesis 41, 15 and 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So this time the dreams take on a national importance and related to the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. And I love the next bit where Joseph says, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're the man for the job. And in Genesis 41, 39, we read, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. And Pharaoh basically appoints uh, Joseph as prime minister on the spot. From then on, we, we see a third characteristic that marked Joseph's life. And it's this, he became a man of authority. And listen to what Pharaoh did in 41, starting at verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. There it is again, another elaborate robe, this time representing authority. And put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as a second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Then thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And you can't help wondering what the Potiphers were thinking at this point in time, having put him through prison. So Joseph sets things in motion and organizes the building of granaries, the planting, the harvesting, the storing of grain during the seven good years, and then administering of the grain during the famine. And have you ever thought how much wisdom and patience you'd need uh, to make sure everyone got a fair share? So, Things he learned in overseeing Potiphar's household, the way he used the authority he was given to manage the prisoners, all the wisdom and authority he had displayed was now put together for one last great project, and one that involves the saving of his own family, the very ones who still at that point thought he was still dead. But God was at work in and through a man who made himself available to God and who walked with God. And the fourth thing about Joseph was, deep down, he was a man of compassion. He desired not revenge on his brothers, but to see if they were repentant. And after they had been on several trips back and forth from Canaan, uh, with great emotion, Joseph makes himself known to his brothers and tells them the real reason he was sent to Egypt. And we read of that in chapter 45, verses 48. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, 
Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. You know, it's a grand story, a sweeping story. Joseph changed the game for Potiphar, for his fellow prisoners, for Pharaoh, and for all the people of Egypt, and then for his own family and nation. But what are we to make of it in today's world? How is this story relevant now? Well, what is, what is really missing in this world? Can I suggest that what is missing is real integrity, integrity that comes from God, godly wisdom and authority, and Christ-like compassion. Ultimately, it's Jesus who makes the difference. You see, all these characters that we've been hearing about over the past few weeks they're just pointers. They're, they're, they're pointing not to a game changer, but to a life changer, Jesus Christ. One who gave his own life that we would be saved, forgiven, set free, healed, restored, and made new. And Jesus opens that door to us to have that integrity and wisdom and authority and compassion because he is all of these things. In 1998, I had a life-changing experience myself when I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A lump had appeared on my neck just about the same time as Ginny's father was ill in hospital in Torquay with melanoma. We were 550 miles away in St. Andrews and had two boys at the time, Chris aged two, and Angus was only about nine months then. And it was a very, very testing time for us. But looking back... God was at work. God was changing things. Ginny's father gave his life to Jesus and took communion shortly before passing away and there was a tear running down his cheek. And at his funeral, I was completely bold from having had several uh, doses of chemotherapy and was asked to to read a scripture from, from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A couple of months after that, uh, at our morning service uh, in St. Andrews, a Jamaican pastor prayed for me. Uh, and at that precise moment, that prayer of healing, I knew I was healed. I knew God had broken through. And I went through some more treatment, yes. And eventually the consultant confirmed what I already knew. So from diagnosis to healing was about six months, praise God. A little footnote to that was we were told we weren't going to have any children, any more children. We had two boys at the time. Well, you know that that turned out to be a false prophecy. And Matthew, who's sitting over right over here, 
uh, and so you sometimes see him up playing the keyboards here, uh, was born uh, five years later and sealed the, the healing, as it were, in, in, in my life. So what can I say just to close? Well, I can say this. Maybe it's time you turned to the life changer, Jesus Christ, in order that you, yourself, can be a game changer. Amen.